Hi, I'm Rachel Aiello, and I'm filling in for Michael Stiddle this week. He became a father last week, so many congratulations to him. And I'm Nick Nanos. Welcome to Trendline. So this week, we are going to be diving into why it is the Prime Minister might still be holding these almost daily press conferences. What's this talk of uh, conservative, former Conservative leader Stephen Harper coming back? Uh, what are federal political parties doing with federal taxpayer dollars and COVID aid programs? And as well, where are Canadians at in terms of feelings and concerns about the COVID-19 crisis? So Nick, we'll start off first. We saw the Prime Minister this week hit his 65th daily press conference. Almost all of them have been outside of Rideau Hall. And over the last two months, I think you could say we've seen quite an evolution in that conversation. So they early on started off with stern public health warnings, like, you know, go home and stay home. But now we're seeing uh, that kind of change. Uh, they were once big, massive, billion-dollar policy announcements, and now they're little upgrades, little incremental changes to things. So why do you think he's still coming out every day and, and saying something? I don't know, Rachel. Is this kind of like uh, Groundhog Day with Bill Murray? Like, he wakes up every day, and it's like it's the same press conference, except he kind of avoids the puddle the next day when he sees stuff. You know, the thing is, is that when we look at the weekly tracking that, we, that Nanos does, you know, every week we ask Canadians, for all of the federal party leaders, whether Canadians believe that they have or don't have the qualities of a good political leader, and check out this trend line. When you see the trend line, especially over the last number of weeks when COVID has kind of kicked in, you can see that there's a direct correlation or relationship between Justin Trudeau being in the news and doing his press conferences and that ramping up of uh, Canadians who think that he's doing that, he's, that he has the qualities of a good political leader. And to put this into context, he's, he's up you know, more than 20 points. You can see more than 60% of Canadians right now, when you look at the trend line, I think that he has the qualities of a good political leader. However, if I could just say there is such a thing as, can we say too much of a good thing? I'm not even gonna say that it's a good thing. Too much of anything. So what Justin Trudeau has to watch out is that uh, when he does have a press conference, that there actually is a substantive purpose to convey new information to kind of help Canadians navigate through this. So I'll put a little asterisk. Yeah, positive trend line, but you got to watch out that he doesn't overexpose himself. And I think that's a really good point, Nick. And I think too, the situation Canadians are in and how they are thinking about this has shifted. At the time when th these press conferences first started, there was a lot of fear, there's a lot of concern and a lot of uh, uncertainty about what lied ahead and, and Trudeau's daily things kind of started as uh, an assurance or a reassurance that don't worry the federal government is here for you um, but I think more and more I'm wondering if it's almost a cry wolf situation where people stop listening and tuning out just because it's not really sounding a whole lot different mm -hmm. uh, not to say there aren't going to be big announcements to come but there haven't been in the last I'd say week or two I'm not sure if I'd use the word cry wolf, but I would probably say he's got to watch out that he doesn't sound like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 where it just blends into one great big press conference. That said, his numbers are trending well right now, and he's, his personal scores are higher than they've ever been uh, since before uh, the last uh, federal election. So with that in mind, maybe that's where some of this election speculation is coming. We've heard of the last couple of weeks this idea of could there be a snap election in the fall? Is it time for Canadians to weigh in on the way the federal government is approaching the crisis and how they're going to spend our way out of it? Uh, so what's your take on this speculation of a snap call? 
Well, I'm sure for most Canadians, when they hear the words speculating about a snap election, the first thing they do is clutch their chest, thinking, I can't believe that we're doing this. I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about my mom or my dad's health. We have coronavirus and we're going to have a snap election. But you know what, Rachel? I ignore everything that's said and I just look at the numbers. When we look at ballot support for the Liberals right now, it's been trending positively for the last eight weeks. They're hypothetically in majority territory, but the killer trend right now are the Conservatives. You know, we, uh, we have a, a power index which measures the brand of each of the federal political parties. And when you look at this power index, in the last number of weeks, the Liberal brand has increased largely as a result of the fact that more Canadians are feeling more positive about Justin Trudeau. But Rachel, check out that trend line for the Conservatives. It's basically a steep slide down right now when it comes to the brand. A lot of this has to do with the fact that they don't have a leader, that uh, Andrew Shear is the interim leader and he's kind of had issues. Peter McKay looks like the uh, person that has the best chance to win, but he's been having uh, trouble. And in this environment where the Liberals are so proactive, where they're kind of trying to support Canadian businesses and Canadian individuals, I think it's hard for the Conservatives to, uh, to get traction. So I guess watch out for the crafty Liberals potentially wanting an election, not saying that they'll get what they want, but uh, looking at a window that opens up that uh, that'll be ahead before the really bad economic news weighs in on the Canadian political landscape. Right. And so before we dive in a bit more into the Conservative leadership race and how that's looking, like you said, let's watch out for the Liberals, see what they're thinking about this. And Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was asked this week, hey, what's this deal with the snap election speculation? And here's what he had to say. I, I haven't heard a lot of Canadians demanding an election right now, but obviously in a minority parliament, parliament gets to decide uh, when uh, it no longer has confidence in the government. So uh, read into that what you will. I would also note there's probably three other factors that people should be thinking about when they're having these conversations about a snap election. Um, not to be the one to deter you from placing bets to pass the time amid a <laughs> pandemic, but uh, pensions. Um, not always the jazziest issue, but a good number of the current MPs will be eligible for full pensions if they last for six years. So they will have already served four. That means they need this parliament, this government to last two years. That's one thing to keep in mind. Another thing is the House of Commons just decided this week to not hold regular sittings until the fall. So procedurally speaking, it's going to make it pretty difficult for there to be a confidence vote or confidence motion or have that opportunity for the government to fall. Uh, and third is something I think we'll get into a little bit later is the current fiscal situation for political parties. Right now, they're still not that far off from the last election. I don't know about you, but <laughs> I can still remember it as if it was yesterday. Yeah. Uh, and I think they're still feeling the financial impacts of that. So I'm not sure they would have war chests to go in the fall, but you know, unprecedented times call for unprecedented situations. So I guess we'll see. Oh, absolutely. And you know what, Rachel, the reality is, is we gotta go week to week. Uh, we don't know how big, there's been an estimate on how big the deficit will be. We don't know how big, we don't know what the economy is going to be like. Uh, there'll be some bad news. Uh, we also don't know whether, uh, whether the Liberals will think that they need a mandate. Like they may think in the fall that more needs to be done. You know, in the polling that we've done with CTV News, majority of Canadians think that there will be more stimulus and more spending. But the question is, how is that going to happen? And uh, the only thing that I'm just putting on the table is that if you are a crafty liberal politician, you're looking at these numbers, kind of like, uh, can I have an election? How can I make this happen? 
but then again, to your point, look into those uh, members of parliament to turn themselves into human pretzels to avoid an election because it's either not good for that particular opposition party or not good for an individual member who might be eyeing his or her pension. Right. And speaking of kind of the appetite for politicking right now in the middle of a crisis, uh, the conservative leadership race is still going on. And like you said, the factor that they play into a possible election, is it time to try to go at this when they're still down a leader and even at a time when their next coming leader going to be elected in August is still kind of getting their ground legs going? Um, Andrew Shearer doesn't seem to think so. He was speaking about this last week and was asked, you know, where do you think the party is at? How are they feeling? And uh, this is what he had to say about that. Next leader will inherit a unified caucus, a more dynamic caucus, a larger caucus, a strengthened opposition. We have 121 seats, more seats, significantly more seats than we had in the last election and a party that is ready to win the next election. So Nick, is Andrew Shear right? Is the Conservative Party ready to win the next election? Well, I don't think they're ready to win the next election if it's in 2020, but they will be well positioned in the long run. Why do I say this? I think because right now what we're seeing is the economy trending up as an issue. The conservatives are usually strong on that. We don't know how good or bad the finances of the federal government will be. And, uh, and right now it's a bit of a, I don't want to use the word honeymoon, but it's a positive period right now for the liberals because no one really disagrees when you spend money. None of the parties will have really opposed the government in terms of the stimulus. But once you have to make those tough choices about governing, once we have to figure out how we're going to pay for our debt, that's when it's going to be much more difficult. And that's where the opportunity for the conservatives. So short-term opportunity for the conservatives, weak, longer-term opportunity, much better. Interesting. And so I'm wondering then how this conversation of a possible Stephen Harper resurgence fits into the picture. Yeah, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of ironic. Just think, Justin Trudeau's dad came back, like Justin Trudeau's dad, Pierre Trudeau, lost an election. Uh, and, you know, wasn't really liked when he lost. And then came back and uh, defeated uh, Joe Clark and, and won another election. So it'd be kind of an ironic twist if Stephen Harper came back to challenge uh, Pierre Trudeau's son, Justin Trudeau. Um, I think uh, it's not a big surprise. This is kind of like, uh, nostalgia for a better time for conservatives because when we look at the conservative brand and when we look at the conservative ballot support right now it is worse than when it was before Stephen Harper became uh, leader of the party that he rebuilt the party he won a number of elections even though he lost the last election he's part of that winning franchise and uh, I'm not really surprised that there are some conservatives that would probably think that he would probably do a better job especially with the economy as a front and center issue than a lot of the other potential candidates. So something maybe to watch for is some of the conservative leadership candidates looking to pick up some of uh, former Prime Minister Stephen Harper's staff when they come into office, if they want to try to adopt his ideals. We're starting to see more of that policy conversation happen. Uh, of course, there isn't really a lot of space for it in the middle of a pandemic, but definitely something to watch there. Uh, related on finances, Nick, I wanted to get your take on something that kind of blew up last week and we're still getting political reaction on. Uh, this is the fact that four major political parties are accepting the wage subsidy. They've either applied for it or have already uh, sought it and are accessing it. So the Liberals, the NDP, the Green Party and the Conservatives are all 
uh, seeking and accessing this national wage subsidy. So this is the program that the federal government rolled out, kind of billed as this massive, biggest since the Second World War kind of fiscal stimulus. Uh, and it's offering 75% subsidies on wages for employees. The incentive is to either rehire staff or keep them on. And in the case of all these political parties, no one has been laid off, but they are saying, well, the program is there, we support it. Uh, we are accessing it in order to keep our employees on staff. Um, you know, just for context, these are employees who are doing political work, communications, back-end things within the party's offices. They're not large in size generally, but you know, there are still people behind the scenes and not just the politicians. Um, but the reviews on the fact that this is being used this way, that federal political parties are accessing a taxpayer funded massive billion dollar program to kind of keep their political staff on the payroll. I'm, I'm curious, broadly speaking, Nick, uh, how do Canadians feel about these kind of federal aid programs being used by political forces? Well, you know, I think for most Canadians, when they see us spending large stimulus amounts to help average Canadians, they don't think of politicians and staff in Ottawa. So they have to tread very carefully. You know, for the Liberals, it's a bit of a political gift because their opponents have basically bought into the program and are receiving the program and are beneficiaries of the program. So how can the Conservatives in their right mind criticize the Liberals when they've decided to accept the subsidies for their employees, even though they haven't necessarily been uh, laid off? So, you know, I think, I think this is the most problematic for the Conservatives because, you know, the Conservatives position themselves as a party of principle. Uh, they don't believe in big deficits. They believe in prudent spending and prudent government. And yet at the same time, they're accepting these uh, subsidies. So I think this is... Uh, not great news for the Conservatives and uh, I think it'll make for grumpy uh, grumpy voters. That said, when everybody is engaged, when all the parties, all the major parties or the four major parties are engaged in this, it's hard really for anyone to have the advantage because it's, Rachel, it's like a big black brush on all of them that kind of feeds the narrative of, yeah, here's another thing, politicians doing things that we don't like. Right. And I think this will be a live conversation once the next leader of the Conservative Party is named because three of the four candidates have come out and said, I'm not in support of this. If I am leader, we are pulling out of this program. And some of them have even suggested paying back what they have received from the federal government over time, kind of, you know, giving back what they owe instead of having the taxpayer have to add that on to the ballooning yeah. deficit. So something to watch there. And, and just to note, the Bloc Quebecois are not accessing this program. They've probably been the most vocal, the most outspoken, saying it's, it's ridiculous for parties in some of the cases fundraising multi-millions of dollars last year, accessing this program, questioning whether it's necessary. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out, um, how long they stay on it, and how much they end up claiming through this program. You know, Rachel, if we were talking about this a month ago, we probably would have said it would have been the Conservatives that, that opted out and the other parties that opted in. But go figure. This is why we're living in a kind of like a bizarro world right now on a lot of these issues, where it's the block that seems the most principled on this particular issue at this particular time. Interesting. And, and so the other conversation I wanted to have with you today was um, people's evolution in their feeling about the COVID-19 pandemic. So how are they feeling? Where are their concerns? We've kind of seen shifting messaging from the government, potentially in some cases leading to an uncertainty across the country, maybe a bit of patchwork and approaches on, on how serious you should still be taking this, what public health measures you need to still follow. I think back to a very packed Toronto Park not that long ago and, and wondering uh, what that signals about how Canadians are feeling about the COVID-19 crisis at this moment. Well, what we're seeing is, uh, is a lessening of intensity. 
you know, Rachel, we, we track the most important issue of concern every week. And uh, when you look at that trend line, you can see that uh, coronavirus went from no place to about 50% unprompted, which means people can say whatever they wanted. That's a significant spike. But you check out that trend line uh, over the last number of weeks, where factoring the margin of error, just as many Canadians say that the coronavirus is the most important national issue of concern compared to jobs and the economy. What we're seeing is a transition. And this is where kind of, you know, you talked about the park in Toronto and in other places across Canada where social distancing might not be, I'll just say optimal, let's be kind, right? Uh, from a public health perspective. And uh, what it suggests is that, uh, I think the problem is, is that people are conflating a normalization or things trying to get pseudo back to normal with this thing being beat and it's not. And uh, I think for public health authorities and the government, they've got to make sure that they say, yes, we're transitioning back, but we still need to do social distancing. But right now, what's on the minds of Canadians is, what will my job be like when I get back to work? Will I have a job? Could my son or daughter get a job if they're looking to find one? And uh, will we have a recession or, God forbid, a depression um, because of the fallout, the negative fallout from the, the coronavirus? All right, so we'll definitely keep watching those trend lines and see how maybe public messaging evolves over the next few weeks and how the positioning on reopening uh, happens. Um, so that being said, Nick, I just lastly wanted to get your take on what's your big takeaway this week? What's your prediction for the weeks to come? What should people be watching for? We should be watching the economy. The economic numbers are going to roll out and they will be eye-poppingly negative in terms of negative GDP and unemployment. And it's going to be interesting to see not just how governments cope with that, but psychologically, how Canadians cope with what I'll say, you know, we've gone from the health risk, health insecurity, now to economic insecurity. And it's going to make for a very turbulent, and uh, Rachel is pretty hot today. It's going to be a very hot summer from, uh, from a political point of view. I can't wait. Nick, thanks so much. If listeners or viewers want to read more of your latest work, or find out more information about the numbers that you mentioned today, where can they find you? They can find me on Twitter at Nick, N-I-K, Nanos, or get all access to our polling data at www.nanos.co. Great. And you can follow me on Twitter at Rach Aiello, and you can find Trendline on CTV News' YouTube channel if you'd like to see some of the, gra the graphics and the visuals you heard Nick talk about there. Uh, and just again, thank you so much for joining us. We know this is a tricky time. And I'm sure you're hearing a lot about the coronavirus. And we're hoping that we are able to provide an interesting insight, some different conversations, but the numbers behind some of the decisions we're seeing politicians make. Thanks so much. This episode was produced by Trevor Coral, Jesse Taharelli, and Phil Hahn. Our executive producer is Liz Travers. Sound editing and video editing was done by Jesse Taharelli. Thanks for joining us.